0: Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Well, when was the last time you were really afraid? Can you remember? We had some trouble with memory up here on the platform. I think it's because they were put on the spot. But uh, can you remember the last time you were afraid? And some of you are here tonight, tough guys. I've never been afraid a day in my life. Quay's probably saying that right now. Some of you may be thinking about maybe a time when you were a child and you remember something that you were afraid of, maybe swimming or a bug or something like that. Or maybe you have something very recent in mind. I had a really fearful few minutes just a few weeks back. It was a Sunday afternoon. I got home from church. I felt sick, fever, and chills because of a combination of things with my health. I didn't know it, but my blood pressure was quite low. And all I wanted to do was get in my bed upstairs. And so I started to go up the stairs and my muscles were hurting so bad. I've never experienced anything like it. I I literally could not go up another step. And so I slumped down on about the fourth step and then I was too weak to go down. I didn't I couldn't move and I just I just put my back against the wall and I was feeling my symptoms and I thought, I think I'm going to die literally had that thought just a few weeks ago, and that was scary, uh, but God is very good. And then Quay would have had to get another, another speaker in here, so I thought, I better not die just yet, you know. After uh, yeah, after youth camp, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but God is very good, and I'm, I'm doing quite well now by His grace, uh, but it was, a, it was a scary moment. You know, I, I had this thought, maybe some of you are afraid of being here at youth camp. Now, of course, you wouldn't tell anyone this, but... Uh, You know, it could be new. Maybe it's a different place or uh, maybe there's dynamics or for whatever reason. You might even be afraid to be here tonight. Fear is a funny thing and it's an unwelcome thing. None of us welcomes fear. We don't want to experience fear. Now, we know by the grace of God that it serves a purpose, but it is terribly uncomfortable. We want it to end as quickly as possible. And think of that. Whenever we're afraid, we do whatever we can to remove ourselves from the situation that's causing us fear. We want to get rid of that fear. Or at least we want to reduce that fear. We want to do it as quickly as possible. And people come up with all kinds of ways to deal with or to manage fear. I remember hearing a one man, uh, he, had, he had kind of come to this purposeful moment in his life because he had so much fear, he wanted to deal with it. So he he developed this this idea, and he would say something like, kill the fear of death, and that will be the death of fear. Kill the fear of death, and that will be the death of fear. And there's some truth to that. There's something to think about, and yet I don't think he probably was approaching it in the best possible way. But the topic of fear, as Mr. Hannes told us, is our topic for youth camp this week, and that's good and it's right, because as much as we'd like to get rid of fear altogether, the Scriptures teach us that there's a certain kind of fear that is critical for honoring the Lord. We have to learn about fear in order to honor the Lord rightly. And so if we belong to Him, we actually must Fear the Lord, and if we fear Him rightly, there are benefits to be enjoyed all the days of our lives, starting from when you're young right now to when you're older like me and Mr. Hannah, and even older than that, there are benefits to fearing the Lord. And since that's the case, I want to make this proposal to you tonight, put it up here on the screen, engage the revelation of God, and then you will rightly fear Him engage revelation, engage what we, have, what we have revealed to us about God. And as you do that, you're going to rightly fear Him. And you can imagine there are right ways to fear God, and there are wrong ways to be fearful. So let's make sure we fear God rightly. We're going to take our topic and this proposal you see here up on the screen. We're going to take it with three questions tonight. First of all, why does this concept seem Strange. Why does this concept seem strange? This concept of being afraid of God or the fear of the Lord. Why does that seem strange to us? Now, let me just come out the gate and qualify it. It may not seem strange to you. If you know the scriptures, if you've heard good gospel preaching, you may know that you're to fear the Lord. It might not seem strange to you. And that's great. I think anyone who belongs to Jesus in fact, has to come to fear the Lord in order to come to Christ. And so that's good. And you may have a good sense of what it is to fear the Lord. You may already be operating out of it. And if that's you, I praise the Lord with you. And Lord willing, tonight will just be another step of maturing in the grace of God as you continue to grow as a more faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus. But for others, this whole idea of fearing God, it may just strike you as odd. And I think if you were to go out in the world and say, you know, we're supposed to fear the Lord, I think that would seem odd to them. And you may be thinking, isn't God love? So why are we talking about fear? If God's love, why are we talking about fear? Or you may have the verse come to mind that we'll put it here up on the screen, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, let me give you two reasons why the doctrine of fear of the Lord may seem strange to our modern ears. At least least the first one gets to that. First of all, because the world and even some of the church are quite mixed up on the love of God, and for that matter, on other doctrines like sin. But in particular, the love of God. And because we're mixed up on the love of God, people can't imagine this concept of fearing the Lord. It seems, it seems like uh, uh, it's, it's, it's contradictory that they're in conflict with each other. You know, it's, it's interesting. There are more atheists today, I believe, than ever in the history of the United States. And that probably holds true for all of the Western nations that more people would say, I don't believe in God than ever before. And Gallup just came out with the results of a poll, I think about three days ago, about what percentage of Americans believe in God. And you know what that percentage was? It's 81% of Americans say they believe in God. That may actually seem kind of high, but the truth is, regarding all of human history, that's incredibly low. All of human history, humans have... Very high percentages of humans have just assumed that there is a God because there's so much evidence for God. In fact, when people talk about uh, the lack of evidence for God, that's a ridiculous thing. There's more evidence for God than there's evidence for anything, including your own existence and you sitting here. It's very readily apparent that there is a God. And that's why even in the 1940s and the 1950s and 1960s, the number of Americans that said they believed in God was 98%. And then finally, in, in, in the, uh, around 2011, it was down to 92%. And then in 2017, it's 87%. And now here in 2022, it's 81%. That's dramatically down from 98%. I'm sure there's a number of societal reasons. It's probably rather complex. There's a lot of reasons why that number is down. And you could talk about a lot of those. But I am certain that one of the reasons it's down is because people are very mixed up on the idea of the love of God. And when people say that God is love, what they often mean by that is not that God gave his son to die for sinners who deserve his wrath. When they say God is love, what they mean by that is that God will affirm, He wants to affirm anything that you feel about yourself. That's often what is meant by God is love in the world today. And when you hear politicians talk about God is love, that's often what they mean. That if God is love, then therefore anything you feel about yourself, God affirms. And God's greatest concern is for you to reach your potential in life to realize your potential. God's greatest concern in the entire universe is that every person would feel very confident and they misunderstand God and they misunderstand the love of God. And just think about that for a moment. If, if, if God is love means that God affirms whatever I think should be affirmed in me, well then why do I need God? I'm already doing that myself. And I put around me people that will tell me the same thing. That is a very distorted vision of who God is and what He's like. Now, we know that the opposite is true. If you love someone, you tell them the truth. You affirm them, but you do it with truth. You don't tell them lies. You tell them the truth. And that means that sometimes you confront them with the truth. And you confront them with the truth because you love them. And you don't want to see them on the path to disaster in this life or the one to come. But the main point I'm driving at here is that if people have a distorted view of love and then they use that to inform what it means that God is love, Well, a person like that, how can you ever talk about the fear of the Lord? It makes no sense to them. What do you mean fear God? God is love. He always accepts me. No matter what I think or believe about Him, no matter what I do with my life, no matter how I rebel, no matter what, God, He just just wants to affirm who I am. Of course, it's going to seem strange to the modern ear that humans should fear God. The second reason why this concept of the fear of the Lord may seem strange, I think it's a better reason because it's really grappling with the Scriptures. In fact, some of us here will be grappling with this this week. I think some of the messages will help us. And, and you're going to see this verse on the screen again, John 1, uh, 1 John rather, uh, verses four, to 4.18. You see that up there, and you look at that, and you say, well, how can the fear of the Lord be good and necessary if fear is to be cast out by the true love of God? And the answer to that is that the concept of the fear of the Lord has a range of meanings. And the fear being spoken of in 1 John 4 is not the same thing as the fear of the Lord. It's related. There's some crossover, but it's not the same thing. And I think you're going to get more information on that as the messages go by. And this is why we need the revelation of God. We need God to show himself to us, to tell us, what are you like, God? God so that we can then engage who he is and we can learn to fear the Lord rightly. And that's why I brought this proposition, engage the revelation of God and then you will rightly fear him. Let's get to our second question. We're, we're seeing that the, the concept of the fear of the Lord may be strange to the world and, and we might even be influenced by that. We might, we might, it might seem strange to our ears. Like how could that possibly be? that's part of who God is. Well, we're going to look a couple of portions in Exodus to help us understand that. So, we're going to get to Exodus 20, like Mr. Hannah said. But turn to Exodus chapter 14. Turn to Exodus chapter 14. And in Exodus chapter 14, and prior to that, we get the story of Israel. There are slaves in the land of Egypt. They have to do what their slaves masters tell them. The Egyptians tell them what they do and they have to do it. This is their their life. They're slaves. And their slave masters are becoming more oppressive. And you know why they're becoming more aggressive? Because they fear the Israelites. The Israelites are becoming more and more, uh, there's more and more of them. And so they're becoming more powerful. They're afraid of them. And so the Egyptians put more pressure on them, more oppression. And you probably know the story that God God sends Moses and he backs Moses up with with powers and plagues so that Pharaoh in the end has no choice but to let Israel go. And if you're not familiar with that story, make sure to become familiar with that around that area of Exodus chapter 14. And Pharaoh lets them go, but then he has buyer's remorse. Do you know what buyer's remorse is? Buyer's remorse is when you, you really wanted to get something, and then you buy it, new pair of sneakers, new outfit, whatever, a new phone, and then you regret that you purchased it. And you're, you're looking at that thing in your hand, and you say, you know what, these weren't really worth it, I, I, I wish I had the money back, and so you return them. The difference here is that the Egyptians already had the Israelites, and then they returned them, and so they have returner's remorse. They want them back again. And so, Pharaoh says, we're not letting this happen. We're not letting, this this is too good. We have it too good with the free labor. And plus, I don't want the Israelites gloating that they got out of here. And uh, and so, we're going to go after them. He takes his army, chases them in the wilderness. And then we get to verses 10 to 14 of Exodus 14. So, go in your Bibles to Exodus 14, verse 10. And I'll read those four verses to you. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Look what it says here, and they feared greatly, fear the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bring us out of Egypt? So they're blaming Moses. Verse 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Okay, so what did Israel fear? Feared the the mighty, powerful army of the Egyptians. They feared for their lives. They were were cornered in the wilderness against the sea. Uh, They had no... Uh, training in war. They had no weapons. They were in big trouble. And they surely thought they would die. And so you see their great fear. They're afraid of death, right? They're afraid that the Egyptians will kill them. And what does Moses do? He says, don't fear. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And by the way, if you look at that, you see a little, you see a little word play going on. He says, he says you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. These Egyptians you see… You will never see again. So you see how he's, he's using that play, that idea of what you're seeing here. Really, just look to the Lord, and you'll see all you need to see. And you'll see it forever. And so they're afraid of the Egyptians. God says, Moses says, no, no, fear the Lord. Don't, he says, don't fear them. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And so, verse 31 of chapter 14, let's put that up there. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Well, what happened? What happened there? So, what happened was God opens up the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on dry ground, an incredible miracle. Brings them to the other side. And then when the Egyptians try to follow them, God closes the waters on them, killing the entire Egyptian army that came out to destroy them. And we need to look at this. We need to think about it. What would your reaction be if if you were one of the Israelites and you saw this happen? Well, certainly you'd rejoice because you've been saved, right? But something else might dawn on you as well. First, you feared the Egyptians because there was certain death for you. But now you saw a power so much greater than the Egyptian army. power More powerful than nature. And with the wave of a hand and a decree, the entire Egyptian army is destroyed. And you are now, the Israelites, are now in the hands of of that greater power. In other words, they realize, the Israelites realize, there's a much greater power that we should fear than the Egyptians. And that's an important lesson for us, isn't it? Because what they did there is they they traded off one fear for another. They traded off fear of the Egyptians for the fear of the Lord. And that's an important lesson because we're going to fear something in life. You're going to fear something. The only question is, are you wise enough to fear the Lord rather than all these earthly things? You're going to fear something because we're finite. We're limited. We're frail. Our lives are short. Death will come. We're limited. We're, we're sinners. We're You're going to fear something. You're a sinner. You're going to fear something because you don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen next. You're going to fear something because the world can be treacherous. And you're going to fear something because you know deep down that every human has to give an account to God at the end of their days. And so the question is not what, the question is not will you fear, the question is what will you fear? We can fear earthly powers or we can fear the God who made all other powers. Now, this point is supposed to answer the question, what is the fear of the Lord? And uh, this idea that we're trading off one fear for another, that's an important lesson. But it doesn't tell you what the fear of God is, so let me try again. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. And many of you may already know what's in this chapter because Exodus 20 is the chapter of the Ten Commandments. If you ever want to find the Ten Commandments, you can find it there in Exodus chapter 20. And so, this happens after the Red Sea incident. So, after the Red Sea incident, they're singing praises to God, the Israelites, and you'd think everything's going to be great from here on out. But guess what happens in chapter 15? They complain against God. They grumble against God. Not enough water. Then, guess what happens in chapter 16? They grumble against God. Not enough food. Then, guess what happens in chapter 17? Once again, they grumble against God. And they're already immediately sinning in the wilderness. This is the inclination of a sinner. Even a sinner who's been redeemed by God, brought out of the land of slavery, brought through the baptism of the Red Sea, made one of God's people and brought to Mount Sinai to have God revealed to them. This is the impulse of sin. And so they, they get to Mount Sinai, and God has them encamped there. And God says, okay, Moses, get everything set up. Uh, put, uh, put barriers around the base of the mountain. Make sure the people don't come near the mountain because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have you come up here uh, along with Aaron. I'm going to let some others come a little ways with you. I'm going to give you my laws. I'm going to reveal to you the righteousness that's required to be my people. And Moses said, okay. And they do that. And then Moses heads up the mountain where God's going to give him the law. But here's what happens. He gets up there and God sends him back down because God says, make sure that the people don't break through because essentially they're sinners and I'll have to kill them because of my holiness. And Moses says, we set up the barriers. God says, go down, make sure they don't break through. So he goes down And then in Exodus chapter 20, 18 to 21, we see what Moses says to the people. So, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Turn there in your Bible, and I'll read these three verses to you. Verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses... Why were they so afraid? Why were they so afraid? Well, the Scripture tells us they, they were afraid they would die, lest we die. Don't let God speak to us, lest we die. And you see what's going on here. There's, there's, it's, a, it's emotional and, and it's, it's physiological. They're, they see the thunder. They see that God is, is, is sending the lightning and the thunder with it. And the sky is lighting up and the booms are not... They're not far away. You know, normally you see lightning in the sky. You wait a few seconds. Some of you know that trick where you count it out. You can kind of calculate how many miles away that uh, lightning strike was. And normally the lightning strikes a little ways away and you hear the thunder after, uh, you know, several seconds after. And it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, but have you ever been near a thunder strike? A couple times in my life, I heard that boom almost instantaneous. And if you've ever heard that crack, I remember one time I was, I was in college, I was in my dorm room and I was asleep, and, and that thunder crack literally shook me out of bed. I, I jumped out of bed and landed on the side, and my first thought was, that's God. Because when something's really fearful, you know what's behind is God. He's the most frightening, the most holy, the most other. Some of my daughters are afraid of thunderstorms. I won't tell you which ones. Maybe you can figure it out this week. Maybe you're afraid of thunderstorms, but they hear the thunder they see the lightning it's, it's going off the strikes are close enough and they're afraid and the mountains smoking you know you get a sense of volcanic activity we don't know quite what was going on. Maybe it's vents that God's opening. God's all over the mountain. God's bigger than the mountain. God's commanding the mountain. These effects, the smoking mountain, the lightning, the thunder, and this loud, blasting trumpet sound in the midst of all of this. What's going on? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's far beyond human capability. It's clearly God behind it all. That trumpet Sound is the announcement of majesty and power. And they see all this and they conclude, we've seen enough. We don't want to go a step further. We don't want God talking to us. Because if he takes another step, if we get any closer to the presence of God, if we know God anymore, we're going to die. They're more afraid here than they are on the edge of the Red Sea in the wilderness. God is so great, He's so sovereign, He's so overall, that were, we're just afraid if He speaks to us, we'll die. And that's interesting, isn't it? They realize that they're so close to the presence of God through these dramatic and spectacular displays, and their response to His presence, their response to His presence. It's actually a right response, is we'll stay back, and you go talk to God, and whatever you do, you know, it's okay, we'll stay here, you let us know. And it's not an uncommon response to the presence of the Lord. You see this throughout Scripture at times. You even see it in John the Apostle in Revelation. And he has an even more dramatic response. And what happens is he, he, he gets this vision, you see the Scripture up there on the screen, he, he gets this vision and he, and he hears someone speaking to him and he turns around. And what he sees just blows his mind a face like the sun and seven stars in his hand, a sharp sword coming out of the mouth of this person. And so, if I could have that next slide, you see here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to uh, the, the last part of 12 to 18. When I saw him, John writes, I fell at his feet as though dead. He, he faints. He, he, all the strength is drained out of him. It's worse than me trying to get up the stairs a few weeks ago. He's got, he's got nothing left. He just collapses. But then it says, he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last. And the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Do you ever think about that? John the Apostle, saved by Jesus the Christ, walked with Jesus, the beloved of Jesus. And yet when he sees Jesus in his glorified form, he collapses. And then... Jesus says, Fear not. And from the rest of the book, you you see John had gotten up. Jesus says, Fear not. and And he gets him up. On the basis of what should John not fear in the presence of the living Christ? On the basis of what will he stand? It's not that the Lord's not fearful, fearfully powerful, fearfully perfect, fearfully holy. It's on the basis of what Jesus says, right? What what does he say there? He says, I have died, and I rose again. I have the keys of death and Hades. There's that hint about the fear of the Lord we we need to see. See, John, even though he's been cleansed by Christ, he knows he's a sinner, that he wrestles with sin. He he knows he's been cleansed. He he knows he's been justified. He has all that truth. He walked with Jesus. He believes. But he he also knows that he's, in his actual life, he's, he's sinned. And so he collapses. But he... The Lord tells him. The Lord lays a hand. The Lord says, I've atoned for you. I've made a sacrifice. My grace is sufficient for you. Rise up. Fear not. Notice here, John's not, he doesn't turn around and see Jesus like, say, what's up, my man? It's so good to see you again. I wondered when I'd see you again. Finally. He's not casual in any way. I say that's—it's that's part of our culture now, isn't it? Casual. Even pastors wear jeans, short-sleeve shirts. You now, when I started out as a pastor, I used to wear a suit and a tie. I was so much more respectable. Amen. 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 No, it's, its fine to dress differently, but. But that casual attitude, while it serves us in some ways, it doesn't serve us when it comes to comprehending God. There's nothing casual, even for John, in the way that he talks and interacts with Jesus. John loses all composure. He's not not even cool. He's not like, hey, I didn't expect to see you. He, He loses composure altogether. Jesus raises them up on the basis of his sacrifice for sinners because of his grace. You see, sinners should be in terror before God. And the only way that fear dissipates, the only way we're enabled to stand, is because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that same thing is happening to Israel in Exodus chapter 20. Remember, they said, don't let God speak to us or we're going to die. They're saying that because they know they've sinned against God. They they just did it. They've been redeemed. They're being made into God's people. They're God's chosen race. But they also know they've sinned. They need an ongoing atonement. They need the grace of God to, to be revealed again to them and applied to them. They need access to it. But they're real aware of their sin. But look at what Moses says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Look what he says. He says, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And so here, here we learn more about the fear of the Lord. The people are afraid they're going to die if they're exposed too much to the God's presence. But Moses tells them not to fear. Why? See, this, this whole thing is so different than, than sort of taking God's grace for granted, right? I think sometimes we take God's grace for granted. Like, oh, yeah, I'll, I sinned, but I'll be forgiven for it. You know, Jesus died. You know, shed his blood. He, he was tortured and murdered, executed. You know, he rose again. We take it all for granted because we don't have a right picture of who God is and what it means to, st- to be in his presence as a sinner. And so here we're learning that, yes, these people are redeemed by God. They've been brought through the Red Sea, which is like a baptism. Brought to the other side, turned into God's people. He's now brought them to Sinai so they could know him better, know his righteousness, and and learn to live for him. And that's why Moses is able to say, because you've been redeemed, he's able to say, just like Jesus said to John, fear not. Don't be afraid. You feel like you're about to die because God's presence is so overwhelming and you, you see the presence of sin in you. And you're right to fear. But also recognize God has redeemed you and made you His own. And so He's not here to kill you. You're not in His presence so that He'll destroy you. You're here to learn about Him. You're here to be tested. You're here to understand who He is, to to see His magnificence, His spectacular nature, His majesty, so that you will turn from your sin and be separated from it. See, God reveals who He is to His people, not to destroy us because He's already redeemed us, but so that we'll turn from sin. And that's the problem when we when we get too casual with God, when we take his grace for granted, we we no longer feel the need to separate from sin. And that's why we need the fear of the Lord, well, so that we recognize who he is and then we praise him for what he's done, so that we can come into his presence and not die for our sin if you have the Lord Jesus Christ you have life in his name and so the fear of the Lord operates in this way for you you should acknowledge your sin and recognize the perfections of God and that you deserve God's wrath always, always, always but then also know through the grace of God that comes to us in Jesus be reassured you're not going to die but that God wants to grow you instead. And that's the way He's working in you. If you have Jesus, that's the way to interpret life. If you have not trusted the Lord yet, then let the fear of God be real to you and recognize the terror of who He is and run to the Son so that you can be redeemed and made into one of the children of God. That you too can be delivered from the wrath of God. And no longer will you fear him unto death, but you will fear him unto life. Well, I still have not told you what exactly the fear of the Lord is. And that's just terrible. And I have some definitions here, but I think I ought to skip them. Uh, for the sake of time. Um, and uh, and they're, they're good. You know they have to do with reverencing God and all. But the truth is because the fear of the Lord is, is somewhat of a layered concept. In other words it involves both actual fear of God. Where you're terrorized by his perfections and holiness and spectacular nature. But then also upheld by his grace. So that now the fear of God operates to cause you to be responsive to God's work in you to put sin aside. Because it's somewhat complex that way. I won't go through these definitions. Except for the last one. The last one is, was written by some awesome dude that's not noted up here. I think it might have been me. I can't remember. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is to rightly understand. The last one there. You see that there? Oh, uh, it's the fourth. There you go. It is to rightly understand ourselves and our world in the light of who God really is. It is to rightly understand ourselves and our world in the light of who God really is. To see Him as He is. Not as we make Him up to be. Not as this world makes Him up to be as a God who demands nothing, requires nothing in righteousness. All He wants to do is affirm the potential that He sees in you but to see Him as He really is. and To understand that. And then to understand ourselves rightly that we need grace. And to understand that in the context of this broken world, that the reason there is grace is because God is love. Engage the revelation of God and then you will rightly fear Him. I'm going to move on to our last point here, but I want to check in with Quay real quick. And the last point is, how can we engage the revelation? So let me just check in. I think I can be done this pretty quick. You're, you're, you're good? Okay. You can engage the revelation of God by looking at creation. Here's the first way you can engage the revelation. So, so uh, look at this verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, that's God's. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made and then is saying that the unbelievers without excuse because before you even open the scriptures you look around and and you see the, the what seems to be the infinite ocean and you look at the hills and the mountains, and you look at the trees, now their arms are raised up, and you can see it looks like all of creation is praising God. You see the boulders, and they're what they appear to, to be eternal. You look at the mountains, and it appears like an eternal thing that is immovable. And all of these things you look at the sky, and you see the stars that are innumerable, you cannot count them. You look at the sun and you realize that it's providing life to this earth, heat and light continually all the years of our lives and all the years of all humanity all before us and and coming after us. You see the way the earth is water. You you look at these things and you realize that behind all of it has to be a person who is all-wise and all-powerful and all-loving. To have given us life and sustained it, even as rebellious as we are. And so you see the, the invisible attributes of God, His power, His majesty, in the things that have been made. And that's God revealing Himself through creation. And as He does that, we're supposed to see these things and we're, it's all evidence that it can only go in one direction you put these things together it cannot add up to anything else and you're supposed to recognize it and say oh my goodness God is beyond the scope of anything I comprehend and there's a sense of fear in that of awe and of reverence and of worship but that's not the only revelation God's given us He's given us the scriptures Oh, and let me just mention that if you, if you see that in creation, it helps you immediately understand you shouldn't worship creation. You should worship the one behind creation, the one who made it all. And then the Scriptures, the words that God has given us. And why do we call the Bible God's Word? And in the Bible, God's Word calls Jesus the Word in John chapter 1. Why does it call Jesus, the Word. Because words reveal. Words are, they're tools of communication. And as magnificent and powerful as pictures are, slideshows or videos or, or whatever. Some people say a picture is worth a thousand words. We get the meaning of that. But here's the truth. You need words to communicate precision and accuracy. You need words to bridge the gap. Speaking and hearing. And that's why Jesus is called the Word. Because He communicates who God is and what He's like. And that's why the Scriptures are called the Word of God. It reveals to us. When you pick up the Bible, it is unlike any other book Any other book is The Opinion of Man. It can describe things. It can be useful. You can learn truth from. It can be magnificent. But nothing comes close to the words of the Scripture because every time you open it, you are accessing the revelation of God to us to help us understand who He is so that we may fear Him and rightly understand Him and then comprehend what He's done for us in the Gospel. And so open your Bible on your own. Read it every day. Even if it's just a little bit, pick it up and read it. Make the most of these messages that you'll hear this week. It's God's Word being open to you. Take in the revelation of God so that you might rightly fear Him and rightly understand Him and rightly orient to Him. God gave us the scriptures so that we can know everything we need to know for salvation, for life, and for righteousness. So, become, so that we can become disciples of Jesus and grow in that. When you read the Bible, take time for prayer. For prayer, just a few minutes. Take time for prayer. If you read the Bible a few minutes, if you pray for a few minutes, guess what? Over the course of the years and the decades, you're going to read that Bible more and pray more because God is going to pursue you and work in you. When you pray, God sends His Holy Spirit to interact with you, to make Himself known to you, and the Holy Spirit will meet you, and He's going to mold your hearts to the love of Christ, to to orienting properly to who God is. You'll fear him rightly and you'll praise him for his grace. You take a hard thing in your life. You take a time when you're down. You go into that prayer closet and you begin to pour out your heart to God. You give it a little bit of time as you pour out your heart to God. The Holy Spirit will meet you in the name of Jesus and he'll mold you And you'll start to see the light through it all. You'll start to begin to trust God more. Your heart will will begin to tune to sing His praise. Every moment of life is an opportunity to see the revelation of God. Maybe the hard things. We we saw big events in Exodus, right? We saw the Red Sea. We saw Mount Sinai. Big events. Huge momentous events where God impressed on his people to how they ought to fear him so that they can know his grace, that they might not sin. But you know, most of Israel's history was wilderness wanderings. It was hard times, it was mundane days. Even the miracle of manna seemed boring to them after a while. Well, that's a lot like our lives fearing the lord through life it doesn't always look like the red sea or mount sinai those are punctiliar they're just events but most of our lives something's going on in our life we can look at that and we can say how should i relate to this what does it mean to understand god is working in this and how can i glorify christ in it and as we apply the scriptures the Holy Spirit works in us. We grow and we learn how to fear the Lord and bring Him glory. And most importantly, by trusting the Lord Jesus. When we trust Him, we're fearing the Lord because we're acknowledging, this is when I said earlier, anyone that comes to Christ has already begun to learn to fear the Lord because you have to acknowledge. The only way to come to Christ is to acknowledge, I'm a sinner And you're the Savior. And if you don't save me, I will be destroyed, lost forever to the wrath of God. And so on the one hand, you fear the wrath of God. On the other hand, you say, if I don't get mercy from God, I'm lost. And so you go toward Him. That's part of the fear of the Lord. Lord. And you place your trust in Christ Jesus. And you know his mercy. You learn the forgiveness of sins. You gain eternal life. The Holy Spirit is given to you. And just like with John, Jesus says to you, at every moment of condemnation and fear, Jesus says to you, fear not. For I have died. And rose again and live forever. And I hold in my hand the keys of death and Hades. Won't you trust the Lord tonight? Fear the Lord and trust the Lord. Engage the revelation of God and then you will rightly fear Him. I'll pray in closing and and then I'll turn it back over. Lord, uh, the concept of fearing You is so deep and so incredible and so beyond us, just as You are, but we ask that You teach us tonight And move us to a right understanding of who you are so that we can rightly orient to you and rightly celebrate the grace that you give us, Lord Jesus, in your death and resurrection. Please work in us, we ask, in your precious name. Amen. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.